Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. My name is Dave Bookbinder. I'm a managing director at B. Riley Financial, and I'm also the author of the new ROI, Return on Individuals. You know, I, I talk about it a lot. It's been said in business that if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And today, I have to ask the question, what if you choose the wrong it? And luckily, we've got a guest who's here to answer that question. I'm pleased to welcome Dave Cafaro, who's the principal at Strategic Advisory Consulting Group. Dave, welcome to Behind the Numbers. I'm so glad to be here, and I love that lead-in, because think about it, we all measure something, but if it's the wrong it, we don't know what we're getting. Yep, and we're going to get into that. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about who you are first? Sure. I'm a strategy consultant. I work with businesses that are focused on accelerating their growth, enhancing their economics, or maybe both. And my approach is to always start with asking questions about what is your future state? What does the future state of your organization look like? And then kind of deconstructing that and say, so what does that mean? How does that inform the operating model for the company and inform the decisions you make today, the actions you engage in, the processes and so forth? And how do you bring that future state vision into today? So that's my focus. I started my career as a management consultant, and then I spent a lot of years in banking uh, as a senior executive. And three years ago, got back to what I truly love in my roots, which is working with companies that want to grow. Well, let's ask the question again, right? So how do you know that you're either looking at the wrong it, or how do you choose the right it, Dave? Well, I think you really have to start with what's the vision for the company to know what it is. And so that future state picture, what do we want to contribute to the world? What's meaningful? And that kind of leads to the whole focus around relevance. So I define relevance as the pertinence, the importance, the meaningfulness that stakeholder groups ascribe to a company. So by stakeholders, I mean by your employees, by your customers, your partners, what causes you to earn relevance with them? When you can answer that question, you can define what the it is you should measure. And in a way, it's kind of like Moneyball, if you read the book or saw the movie. Yep. You know, so in baseball fanatics, there's always all these statistics that we love to analyze. But really, the one that mattered the most in that book is getting runs. And it didn't really matter how you got runs. You could walk and score. You could hit a grand slam and score. But more runs wins. So I think the same is true in business is figuring out what is it that causes us to earn relevance? And the thing about relevance, that meaningfulness with your employees, with your customers, is it's got a finite shelf life. It doesn't last forever. So a common mistake that I see with clients and with businesses overall is the tendency to think that yesterday's successes will result in tomorrow's successes. And that's not true. Part of the reason for that being a challenge is the world is dynamic. The business world is dynamic. It's always in motion. And this perpetual motion means that our employees and their views and their values and what's important and meaningful to them is always changing. Our customers' views, values, and the competitive environment is always changing. So we have to sort of acknowledge this dynamic nature of business. We can't fall into that as soon as things get back to normal. As soon as we get through this supply chain challenge, as soon as we get post-COVID, then things will be okay. That's not true. The fact of the matter is when we can acknowledge that the criteria for earning relevance with our stakeholders is always in motion, once we sort of get there, then we're on the right track to be able to say, okay, so what do I need to do 
today because today is different than yesterday and it's different than it will be tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Yeah, so what you just described there is sort of analogous to the, the stakeholder capitalism, right, where you've got more than one uh, We'll call it stakeholder, right? It's more than just your shareholders. It's your employees. It's your customers. It's your suppliers, etc. Um, but what you just described there was it sounds like you've got a moving target. So if the the need for relevance and what defines relevance is constantly in motion, how do you hit that target? Well, the first thing is to recognize that it is a moving target okay. and to continually redefine. So one of the things that I talk about often is the need for the continuous redefinition of normal. So there's a perception that normal is a destination. But the fact is, normal is continually being redefined. So what's normal for our team members, for our employees today, is very different than it was pre-COVID. Think about some of the challenges that companies are having right now today because they're struggling with what that redefinition of normal means. Do we work remotely? Do we have sort of a bifurcated approach? Do we have some other way of engaging with employees? I think once you recognize the moving target nature of your company, whatever that organization is, and it's true for for-profits as well as non-profits, once you sort of get into that space where you say, okay, I understand. Part of what I need to do as a leader is recognize that my job is to be in the continual reinvention business, whether it's our products, our services, the way we engage with our employees, the way we engage with our other stakeholders, that matters, and that mindset is essential. I'll just I'll just mention that um, I I wrote a book called Leading from Zero. The concept of the book is really built on zero-based budgeting, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And that concept is when you do a budget, you don't assume expenses that you had last year. You don't assume revenue. Well, the analogy that I use for leading from zero is as a leader in business, we can't assume anything. We can't assume that our employees that were engaged yesterday are going to show up today. We're seeing evidence of that right now with the great resignation. Yeah. We can't assume that our customers, just because they traded with us, did business with us yesterday, they're going to want to come back. There's going to be a new offer, a new competitive offer, some differentiator that somebody else came up with, a disruptor perhaps, that sounds better to them. So when we take this sort of leading from zero mindset, like the zero-based budget concept, and we say, Every day I start with zero employees. I've got to earn relevance in order for them to show up and to want to be here. I have to earn relevance with my customers, have them want to do business with us, give them something that's meaningful. That sort of sets the whole thing in motion to recognize we've got to continually redefine the way we do business, redefine normal, adjust our operating models. Yeah, and we're going to take a deeper dive into your book in the second segment here, but I want to cover some more ground here just to kind of do some paving here uh, in anticipation of that. You mentioned two things that have a lot of resonance, right? You talk about the great resignation and you talk about employee engagement. And I think you and, and everyone watching and listening probably know that employee engagement typically hovers around one-third, meaning two-thirds of your people are, are essentially checked out at work. So the great resignation is something that we're talking about in terms of folks who are leaving their jobs now, pursuing new opportunities in this era of what we're talking about as new normal. So Dave, with, with engagement always at a relatively low rate and the phenomenon of this great resignation now happening, what can leaders do to really get their mitts around staying relevant? 
Well, you're hitting on something that I think is so critical across businesses. You're, that statistic that you mentioned, roughly a third of all employees are engaged or actively engaged. That means the whole world is effectively being run by a third of the population, which is a scary thing. What's, I suppose, um, an optimistic element of that is for those folks that are disengaged or actively disengaged, according to Gallup, two of the most common reasons is Number one, somebody at work cares about me. And number two, somebody cares about my development. So one of the things that's essential is you think about this concept of leading from zero and re-earning relevance is saying, what does it take for me to be meaningful, impactful as a resource developer of my human resources? Now, there are different philosophies on resource management and companies. My perspective is that for all of our resources, human resources, intellectual, capital resources, we can make a choice to say, I want to be a resource development exemplar. And here's what I think that means in terms of employee resources, human resources. It has to do with the way we recruit people, the way we onboard them, the way we engage with them when they're there, helping them with their individual development plans. I am surprised at how many companies I work with and I ask a simple question around, how frequently do you have one-to-one -one meetings with your direct reports? And I'll hear answers like, well, they can come to me anytime they need me. I have an open door policy. Yeah. Wrong answer. That is not a one-to-one. -one. That's not dedicated time for the employee. If you think of your responsibility as a manager along three different metrics, I look at it and say, as a manager, I have to, to lead people, which is, it's that the vision thing, right? Where are we going? How do we get there? That kind of thing. I have to manage people, which is what is your individual role in the deliverables that we've committed to? And I also have to coach people, not to be confused with leading and managing, but coaching specifically, how can I help you be as effective as you can possibly be in your job? So when I can make that distinction, that helps me move down the path of being a human resource developer and thinking, what does this team member, what does this employee need from me? I think if we just ask that question and think of it, you know, everybody talks about value propositions. It's amazing though. We don't always think about that in terms of what's my value proposition to the people on my team. I was speaking to a group of CEOs about a year ago and it was about 30 people. And I asked the question, what's your value proposition when you recruit somebody new to your firm? And there was a pause. And I said, why would somebody choose to come to work for your company? And so one person spoke up and he said, well, we've got great benefits and great compensation. Somebody else said, we start giving people 21 days vacation from day one. They're eligible for our 401k plan. Those are not differentiators. That's an ante just to be in the game. Right. You have to have something more compelling to cause people to say, I want to be a part of this vision. I want to be a part of where this company is going. I can create a meaningful contribution because that's what people want. Yep. Dave, for folks watching and listening who want to learn more about you or how they can connect with you, what's the best way to reach out? Best way to connect with me is through Dave Cafaro, D-A-V-E-C-O-F-F, -F, like Frank, A-R-O.com, DaveCafaro.com. There's information about me, how to get in touch, phone numbers, emails, all of that. Yeah, so when we talk about the, uh, the idea of connecting with your people, 
Um, you mentioned the, the need for one-to-one -one meetings. We have about five minutes to go in this first segment, Dave, so I don't want to take you down a rabbit hole, but can you give some advice for leaders out there who are thinking to themselves, yeah, maybe I should do it every quarter. Uh, yeah, I'm super busy. How often do they need to do it? What's the cadence so that it's relevant? I think part of the way we earn relevance is understanding what our team members need from us. So rather than prescribing and saying it needs to be every week or every other week, the most important thing is to, to ask the team member and say, what would be best for you? And that comes with a recognition. As a leader, I'm here for you. I'm not here for me. I'm only successful through my people. So when I understand what they need from me, I can help them have the greatest impact possible. That raises that engagement level significantly. So I think it really starts with asking the team member, what matters to you? How often? And what would you like that to look like? So do you want us to have a formal agenda? If so, we can come up with, I'll come up with a couple of things. You come up with a couple of things that you want to talk about. Or it can be less formal. But I think recognizing every team member is at a different place in their own development. And we have to sort of align with that. The most effective leaders are the ones who recognize everybody is unique. Everybody has unique needs and being able to speak to that. Yeah, that's for sure. I think that's a really good spot for us to pause and take a quick commercial break. So folks in the back, we're going to do a quick commercial pause here. Dave, don't go anywhere. We're going to pay a few bills and we'll be right back on Behind the Numbers after this quick break. So, I'm kind of new here, but I've noticed a trend. My human does this funny thing where she goes around and gets all my toys, and then she hides them in that basket by the door. You know, but it's always the same basket, and it's always in the, in the same place. And then she acts so surprised when I find them, but, you know, she's putting them in the same basket. Again. It's like, hello? That's where you put it last time. You were the worst at hide-and-go-seek.
casinos by the ocean. Now that's New Jersey. 130 miles of beautiful beaches, solid rock, and everything in between. Look in the window. Now that's New Jersey. Plan your New Jersey trip at visitnj.org. Waves of fun. Nights of excitement. And a trail of memories. Now that's New Jersey. And welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're talking about relevance with Dave Cafaro, who is not only the principal at Strategic Advisory Consulting Group, he's also the author of Leading from Zero. Dave, welcome back for the second segment here on Behind the Numbers. Thank you. I want to take a little dive into the book, if you don't mind here, and talk about a couple of the topics that I think will really benefit our audience. And the first one I want to talk about is something you refer to as seeing your organization as others do. I mean, so often leaders have blinders about how others are perceiving them based on what they're seeing and hearing in their own hallways. So why don't you talk about that? And it's not just leaders who have blinders. Human nature is we have blinders and we're not as open to objectivity as we could be or should be. So there's the great story about the law school graduating class and at the commencement exercise, the speaker says, now by a show of hands, how many of you were above average for your class? 100% of the hands go up. Right there, evidence it couldn't be 100% because somebody's got to be above, somebody's got to be below. There's an average, right? But the fact of the matter is, as humans, it's really hard for us to be objective. Anybody who's ever gotten 360-degree feedback knows that. There's yeah. always surprises. And the same is true for our companies because companies are simply a collection of people. So if you sort of contextualize and say, okay, by nature, we're probably not all that objective. How do we build in mechanisms into our organization to override that natural tendency to defend, to deflect, to avoid acknowledging reality. And it's such an important element of sustaining relevance. If we don't see our organizations the way our stakeholders do, we're going to miss cues. We're going to miss opportunities to improve and to refine our operating model, refine the way we engage, refine how they perceive us. So some of the things that I think are really powerful are building in a mechanism that has no penalty for team members bringing up things that aren't working or things that aren't sitting well with customers. Think about it. Your frontline employees are the ones who are closest to what customer reaction is, to what vendor reaction is, and a fantastic source of input. Your new employees, somebody that you just hire, is a great source of input. One of the things that I recommend in the book is when you bring somebody new on in their first couple of weeks, while they're still fresh and they aren't one of the team yet, <laughs> they're still learning you, to do a download with them and say, tell me what it looks like from your view. Now, I just did this. I'm, I'm an interim CEO filling in for a company while they're doing a search. And I just hired a new director of marketing. And after her second week, I sat down with her and said, so let's do a compare and contrast. You were a prospect when we were recruiting you. 
and you had a set of perceptions about us, and now you've been inside for two weeks. Tell me, how does that compare? And what are some of the things that you see us doing that we might not even recognize that you say, that's really stupid. <laughs> Why is this company doing that? And she gave me some great feedback, actionable feedback. So there are some ideas there around how you can create a mechanism to override the human tendency to deflect or to defend against feedback. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like such a simple thing to do, but it's fundamentally elegant, and I think a lot of folks aren't doing that. So great advice there. Thank you. And uh, leading into the next uh, topic here, so Simon Sinek kind of made the idea of start with why a, a household expression, so to speak, in the business community. And you have a chapter about leading by cause. Talk about that, Dave, and why that matters. So, so this is sort of getting into cause and effect. And when we think of financial analysis, take it from the perspective of a PE investor, right? There's this deep financial analysis you do before you invest in a company. You should want to see what's the potential here. We invest in this, we take it on, we make some changes, we enhance the outcomes, we enhance the numbers. But it's really easy to overlook that all those numbers are reflections of an aggregate set of decisions, so leading by cause is saying, let's deconstruct the effect, the outcome, and understand, sort of do an MRI, a financial MRI of what were the decisions, what were the activities, what were the behaviors that created these results? So a really simple example is a company looks at the financials and says, well, sales are too low. We're falling below our competitors in terms of new sales this year. And we look at competitive benchmarks and things and say, well, we've got to sell more. Perhaps, but a better set of questions, a cause-based analysis says, what changed? Is it our sales process changed? Is it that there's a change in our product? Is something not working well with our product? Is there something in the after sales service that's not working as well? So really trying to get to the root cause of what leads to those outcomes. And I think it's so important for PE investors and really for any leaders to be able to get at that because you see so often that marriages of companies, mergers, don't work out the way that it was intended. There are a lot of reasons for that. Culture, people are such an essential element, and people are all guided by a set of actions. So when you can deconstruct results into the root causes, it leads you to a much better place to be able to say, ah, okay, we see what adjustments need to be made in order for this company to earn greater relevance with their stakeholders and ultimately create more value. Yeah, I'd like to put you on the spot if you don't mind. I apologize in advance here, but uh, work an awful lot here with private equity firms. And like you said, most of the synergies in M&A transactions don't realize, depending on where you get your numbers, anywhere between 75 and 90% of that one plus one equals three thing never happens. So what's your best advice for the folks in the private equity space or even the folks who are in the strategic space who are contemplating an acquisition right now? What, what's your best counsel for them? I'm going to steal from the title of your program, go behind the numbers. It's more than just the numbers. I know in the PE space, when you're analyzing and doing evaluation diligence work on a company, it always is about the numbers and then it's about everything else. I think it's so important to start with What's the vision of the acquisition target and how will that be affected when they're merged into whatever we're merging them into? Or the same with any merger. 
what are the visions, how will they align, and what will the new joint enterprise's vision be? And then are the people that are on the team the ones who are going to fulfill that vision? Now, that may sound a little touchy-feely, but the fact of the matter is most people that come to work, paychecks matter, but according to Harvard Business Review, 93% of people are willing to take jobs for lower lifetime compensation, 93%, if they feel they're doing meaningful, important work. To me, that speaks to alignment with the vision. So my advice for, for anyone is to take that long game view. Where are we going? What does that future state vision look like? How do the activities align? And post-merger, will they still align? Will that get us to where we need to go to be relevant and meaningful to customers, employees, other stakeholders? Yep. Dave, for folks who are watching and listening who want to learn more about how they can work with you, how can they get in contact? Go to my website, davecafaro.com. It's D-A-V-E-C-O-F-F, -F, like Frank, A-R-O.com. Dave, we have about four minutes or so to go in, in the program here, so I want to sneak another topic in here, but we've got to keep it brief. I want to talk about adaptive disruption. So when, when, you, when you hear in the, uh, the startup realm, disruptor is a very key word that you see. It's very attractive. It kind of sounds sexy, but you talk about adaptive disruption. What does that mean in three and a half minutes? So disruption is just the nature of business. It's supposed to be that way. It's always in motion, always moving because customers, employees are always changing. Adaptive disruption says we see that there are shoots starting to sprout up of change. What does that mean to us? How do we adjust to that preemptively? so that we're in a better position. One of my favorite examples of that is a business that I love called the Rolling Stones. And make no mistake about it, the Stones are a business. They've sure. been in business for close to 60 years, but look at how their trajectory has gone through adaptive disruption. When they started out, they were in the business of making and selling records. And they did that by putting them on the radio, getting people to go out and buy them, and then they toured to promote them. Fast forward six decades, their customers have changed. They're their means of production have changed. The way they do records has changed. And the economic model has changed. So today, they're in the business of trying to drive people to do at least a 30-second stream on your favorite streaming service so that they can get paid 0.003 or 0.005 cents per stream, right? So they're not making any money, really. $3,000 per million streams. But their economic model has shifted to say, we're in the concert business and it's an experience now come to the concert they just did a double night sellout at sofi arena here in la but i think the starting price of tickets was around 300 and parking was was 70 on top of that wow. so it's an investment for that experience the point is look for where your, your employees your customers are changing where the business model needs to evolve so that you can adapt and self-disrupt to create the next iteration of your organization, the next iteration of your operating model. Great example and great advice. Dave, thank you so much for joining us today on Behind the Numbers. It's been a great experience. Thanks so much, Dave. Our pleasure. And thank you at home for watching and listening to Behind the Numbers. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can stay in contact with us. And if you'd like to have a conversation with me or just connect, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Again, I'm Dave Bookbinder, and until we meet again, Take care, everybody. We'll see you again on Behind the Numbers.